Welcome back to another regularly scheduled episode of the Pig X Podcast. I'm your host, Delaney Howell, and today we're joined by distinguished professor Dr. Jack Decker of Iowa State University. Jack, thank you so much for joining us today. I would love to start out by having you share a bit about your background for our audience and some of your work leading up to your time in Ames. Hey, uh, yeah, thanks. Um sort of a long story. Um, I actually grew up in uh, on a mixed crop uh, and dairy farm in the Netherlands. Uh, that's where my accent comes from. So as I was grow- growing up, I, I was became very interested in dairy cattle, went to university in the Netherlands, uh, Wageningen University, got interested in breeding and genetics, but still dairy cattle. Then I did my PhD at the uh, University of Wisconsin in Madison, because the dairy state. And so I worked on dairy cattle breeding during my PhD and also uh, first decade that I was in academia as, as, a, as an assistant professor at the University of Guelph in Canada, focused on dairy cattle genetics. Uh, but then there was an opportunity to move to Iowa State University and because Iowa State University is uh, world renowned for uh, programs and history in animal breeding and genetics. And so I was very interested in, in coming to Iowa State University, but it was a position in swine breeding and genetics. Well, I was ready for some new challenges and new opportunities. And so I accepted that position. And for the last 25 years or so, I've been working on uh, swine breeding and genetics and, and also uh, I've also moved into working on um, poultry genetics. Now, initially in pigs, my focus was on feed efficiency. But then about oh, about 15 years ago, I also became involved in a project on um, genetics of resistance to PERS in nursery pigs. And this was together with Joan Lunny from USDA in Beltsville and Bob Rowland, who was then at uh, Kansas State University. And Bob Rowland did a lot of large-scale uh, PERS infection experiments. And then we were involved in the analysis of that data. And we found that there was quite a strong genetic basis to uh, resistance to PERS, that uh, you know, there was quite substantial differences between pigs in how much the, uh, the virus was able to replicate in the pig and also uh, whether they were ma- able to maintain their growth or not. About 40% of those differences were due to genetics. And we did identify also some genomic regions that were important, and, and they have been used by the industry to some degree. Now, none of these pigs were able to completely resist uh, PERS, but there were differences in resistance and how they were able to cope with disease. And and what we found is that it's you know, rather than complete resistance, it's maybe just as important for a pig to be able to cope with the disease. You know, so they, they may not prevent infection, but if they're able to get through the disease more quickly and, and maintain growth, that, that's a, uh, an important outcome also. And that's what resilience is or disease resilience. It's the, the ability of the animal to uh, maintain performance under disease. And, and that's where the focus on the disease resilience that we're doing now or st- started from in, 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 in pig breeding and genetics. I assume, Jack, that the transition from the study of dairy breeding and genetics to that of swine breeding and genetics was a pretty major change. What was your reasoning behind making that shift in the first place? Well, it, it looks like a big transition, but, you know, genetics is genetic. 
whether you're a, a human or a dairy cow or a pig, you know, we all have DNA that's organized differently. Now, the, the, the traits are, of course, differently, and the animal itself is different, but you know, everything that I learned about uh, breeding and genetics, you can apply to you know, every, every livestock species and, and to humans. So, so, so from that standpoint, it wasn't that big of a jump. I did, of course, have to learn about the, the swine industry, and I've been very fortunate in uh, having had uh, some good mentors here at Iowa State and in the industry to help with that. So looking back over the 20 plus years you've spent in this space, tell us more about some of the topics that you've researched and focused on. Yeah, so as I mentioned, the first step was to look at a specific disease, PERS. Of course, the, the most costly disease in the swine industry, for the most part, uh, globally. Uh, and, and we had some success in finding a genetic basis that some pigs were more uh, resilient to PERS than others. But of course, there's PERS is not the only disease. There's many pathogens that pigs encounter on commercial farms, and usually they don't encounter them also in, in isolations. And so usually pigs are infected by uh, the secondary infections, especially when it comes to PERS. So that got us into disease resilience. The idea that you want to breed pigs that are more resilient to disease, regardless of the pathogen, whether it's PERS or flu or PED, can we breed pigs that are better able to cope with any disease or most diseases? And that's, that's what our focus in. And the idea behind that is that now, we're not going to have effective vac vaccines for all diseases, all pathogens, and, and it's going to be costly also, if, even if we do. Also, with gene editing, we're not going to be able to develop pigs that are resistant to all pathogens. So can we breed pigs that are more resilient regardless of the disease? And that's, that's what we are focusing on right now. So... Resiliency is really what we wanted to focus this discussion on. From a high level, tell me what resiliency means. How would you define it? So I usually refer to it as resilience uh, rather than resiliency, but they're really the same thing. So it's the ability for a pig to cope with a disease, not necessarily prevent com to become infected, but once they are infected, they're more quickly able to get rid of the, the, the disease and also lose less production, lose less growth rate or, or reproductive performance. And, and we all know that there's big differences in how we as humans cope with disease, whether it's flu or COVID. Many of us get COVID or have gotten COVID, so it's hard to prevent infection. But how we deal with the infection is very different between uh, from individual to individual and that's the same in pigs and uh, and we found in pigs that some of those differences are genetic and so we can select for animals that are more resilient that are better able to maintain performance even if they're infected and you know that could have potential benefits substantial benefits you know less mortality less uh, production losses potentially the need for fewer medications um, and that's a big issue of course so there's huge advantages if you uh, can breed pigs that are more resilient 
Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that because you mentioned you can also select for animals that are more resilient. So what are things, what are characteristics or genetic identifiers that we should be looking for to pick a more resilient hog? That's been a big focus of our research is how do we identify resilient pigs? And especially for breeding companies, it's very difficult to do that. In a farm, a commercial farm, you'll see differences. If there's an outbreak of a disease on the farm, now we see that some pigs, they do better under the disease than, than other pigs, right? And we can, we can measure that. But breeding companies in their breeding programs, their nucleus farms, they have to maintain very high biosecurity. If they get a PERS outbreak, they won't, won't be able to sell breeding stock. So uh, for them, it's very difficult to measure resilience. And so that's what a big part of our research has focused on is on the one side, you know, under a disease challenge, how do you measure resilience? But then also what can you measure on in a nucleus herd on young, healthy animals that tells you whether their offspring, their progeny uh, that enter commercial farms are going to be more resilient. Because if, if, uh, if breeding companies have those tools, then they can use that to select within the nucleus animals that, uh, uh, that are more resilient, even though they are never exposed to the major diseases. So one of the things that we uh, have done as part of that, and this is in collaboration with uh, an industry organization called uh, PigGen Canada, it's a consortium of uh, pig breeding companies that have a nucleus presence in Canada. It includes Fast Genetics, Genesis, Hypor, AlphaGene, Topics Norsefin, DNA Genetics, and Alliance Genetics Canada. So, you know, they're not all Canadian companies, but it's a very international group. And they've uh, banded together to address this question or to help fund research and provide pigs to be able to this, to this kind of research to develop tools that they can use to select for resilience. Uh, they were able to uh, obtain funding from the government, the government of Canada through Genome Canada. Uh, this project has been led by uh, Dr. Mike Dick from the University of Alberta. Some of the audience may be familiar with Dr. Dick uh, as an organizer of the Banff Pork Seminar. And we've been involved at Iowa State in a lot of the data analysis. And this project involves bringing healthy pigs that came from multiplier herds from these seven breeding companies and entering them in a disease challenge in a barn, a a test station actually in the the province of Quebec in Canada that was seeded with multiple pathogens by bringing infected animals from, from neighboring farms into the barn. Uh, and we've got PERS, we got flu, we got APP, uh, MIO, uh, all your favorite diseases. So it's quite a severe g- disease challenge. And it, it's been maintained using a, a continuous flow system. So every three weeks, a new batch comes from one of the breeding companies uh, and is entered into disease ch- into this barn. And they get exposed to the older batch that already has been infected. And that's how the the pathogens are passed from the older batches to the, to the newer batches. Of course, it's something that we, 
don't want to do in commercial setting. We have to practice all in, all out. But this is uh, uh, what we do here to maintain that disease challenge over time. And it, it's been going on for five years. Uh, and uh, there's very careful oversight from a, a team of veterinarians. They do preventative actions to make sure things don't get out of hand. And But that still we get a, a good disease challenge. And over, over these five years, they've entered 5,000 uh, pigs through this system. And we get a lot of detailed data on those pigs. We get, of course, mortality. We get growth rates. We get all the the health treatments that they get on an individual basis. We get carcass data. And then also the pens are equipped with electronic feeders, electronic drinkers. So the pigs all have an RFID tag. When they get to the feeder, the feeder recognizes the pig and records uh, how much the pig is eating and the same for the drinker. So a lot of detailed information. And then these pigs, all 5,000, have been genotyped for uh, half a million genetic markers or positions across the genome. And that's what allows us to, to do the genetic analyses. We've completed most of that, this, and we find that even though... Now, this disease challenge isn't controlled at, our, at all. It's it's quite dynamic uh, from batch to batch. You know, seasons change, and we all know that some some pathogens are seasonal. Some diseases are more seasonal than others. So a lot of differences between batches. And But we're not interested in how the breeding companies differ. We're interested in within a batch, pigs are all from the same company, we are interested in uh, differences between pigs within the same batch in terms of their performance under disease, and then how much of that is genetic. And we found that a substantial part of that is genetic. We, we study that and then use that for uh, for applications. And when you look at some of the specific applications and the research that have been done, I, I suppose by you, but also PigGen Canada, have you discovered any specific genomic regions that influence pig livability and resilience? Well, for one, there are many genes involved. It's not, there's no silver bullet to, and there's not a single gene that makes a pig resilient. There's many genes involved, and you can imagine why that would be. You know, if you just think everything that is involved in the immune system and fighting a disease and keep growing and so on, there's lots of genes that have a role in that, and that's what we find. But there are some some regions that that stand out to some degree, and one of them is the what's called a major histocompatibility complex. Blood groups are in that. And basically, that's the part of the genome that is involved in the, in the immune system that, that recognizes pathogens when they infect the animal and then develop antibodies, help develop antibodies and develop, help develop that memory you know, that we also get from vaccination. So the MHC, as the major histocompatibility complex, is a is an important genomic region that we found. And there's some others there also. But like I said, for the most part, what we find that it's what we call highly polygenic. So there's many genes involved, which means that there's no silver bullet. You can't select on just a single region. And so we have to look at other strategies. And one of the strategies that we focused on a lot is what can we measure on young, healthy pigs you know, as in the nucleus, that is predictive of 
whether that pig is genetically more resilient. And so as part of this project that I described, before the pigs go into this disease challenge, they are uh, transported from the multiplier farm to a quarantine nursery on the same site as the disease barn. And they are there for about three weeks. And during that time, blood samples are taken and also other immune assays are collected. Um, we also look at gene expression in blood, protein levels in blood, metabolite levels in blood. Uh, we also look at the, the fecal microbiome. Quite a bit of that work has been funded by uh, USDA. The question there is, well, are there things that we measure on blood on young animals that are healthy that is predictive of disease. And we found some prom promising results there that we're currently following up on, uh, different immune assays that can be done in the lab on, the, on that blood or on the live animal while the animal is still healthy, measuring the ability of that animal to respond to some foreign substance or a pathogen without infecting them. And then also looking at um, the expression of genes across the genome, one of the criteria, two criteria for, for those to be useful, those what we call indicator traits or biomarkers, they have to be heritable because we want to look at genetics and they have to be genetically correlated to disease resilience. Well, we have measured disease resilience on those same animals in, after the quarantine nursery uh, where we take all these blood samples, they go into the disease challenge. So we have on those animals, we have both all these things we measure while they're still healthy and their response to the disease challenge. And then we can correlate them. And we found some promising results that, uh, that we're currently validating and following up on, but things that the breeding companies then can use to measure on their uh, nucleus animals to determine whether genetically they are more resilient and then select them without having to infect them with, uh, with pathogens. The other interesting finding we've had, and that this goes back to the feed intake data that we record, is that, uh, you know, we all know that if we, if we get sick, the first thing that we do is we stop eating. Well, same with pigs. So because we have records on all those pigs on how much they eat every day under the disease challenge, we can find these periods or days when they're off feed or eat less. And um, we actually measure day-to-day -day variation in feed intake. So a pig that has a lot of day-to-day -day variation in feed intake, so one day it's high, next day is low, low again, then high. We find that they are more likely to uh, either die from the disease or acquire more treatments and grow, and grow slower. So that's uh, another indicator of, disease resilience that we can use. Now that's disease variation in, in feed intake, day-to-day -day variation in feed intake measured on the disease. But one of the collaborators, Topix Norsfin, one of the members of PigGen Canada, they, they asked the question, well, we have a lot, they have a lot of feed intake data on, from the nucleus animals under healthy conditions. And so they measured day-to-day -day variation in feed intake on boars in the nucleus. They found it to be heritable. And the progeny of those boars, they went into a disease challenge that they did. And they found that the, the boars that had 
higher day-to-day -day variation in feed intake, their progeny were less likely to die under the disease challenge. So even though this was feed intake measure measured without disease, it still indicated that pigs that have higher day-to-day -day variation in feed intake, even without disease, they are less resilient. And the reason why we think that happens is that, well, maybe there are no major diseases in the nucleus, but there are other stressors. There are stressors like periods of heat or um, mixing of pigs or interaction with humans. Lots of different stressors that you know, the animals have to cope with. And so we talk about disease resilience, but there's also resilience to other stressors. And it appears that an animal that is better able to cope with those other stressors, which can also affect feed intake and show itself in day-to-day -day variation in feed intake, that those pigs that have less day-to-day -day variation of feed intake as a result of those other stressors, they're also more resilient to disease. So disease resilience and resilience to other stressors, they're probably connected. And, and we know that you know, if, if we are stressed, it affects our immune system because if we're stressed, we're more likely to get sick. So it's all connected. And so we're now following up with some other companies to get uh, feed intake data from their nucleus herds, relate that feed intake behavior uh, or the day-to-day -day variation in feed intake in the nucleus to what we see in the, the challenge barns, because a lot of their progeny went into this disease challenge that I talked about. So we'll be able to relate that and, and validate those findings. And once we do, then that's another tool that breeding companies can use to select boars or pigs in the nucleus for disease resilience or resilience in general without having to, to expose them to disease. From a management standpoint, it seems that we can have a large impact on swine survivability, even aside from their genetic resilience. Tell us a little bit more about how we go about doing that. Dealing with disease is, uh, is not just genetics. You know, genetics can be a component of that, but there's lots of other factors involved. You know, biosecurity, uh, management, and so on, and uh, and and you know, and they have to go hand in hand. You can have, you can't have one without also having the other, and and expect to make any progress. So, yeah, there's lots of other tools that farmers uh, are using and need to use to cope with disease and prevent infection by through biosecurity. Then also uh, deal with infections if if there is an outbreak because you can't have keep everything out and uh, you know have vaccinations, have uh, health treatments. But genetics, if you can have animals that are genetically more resilient, then that will make all the other uh, management strategies a lot easier and, and less costly. And so that's what we're focusing on. We're focusing on the genetics perspective. And that's really focused, uh, you know, delivering tools to the breeding programs, to breeding companies. And so if the breeding organizations can implement those tools and select pigs that are more resilient, that will eventually result in pork producers getting more resilient pigs on their farms and benefit from that. Uh, and of course, consumers benefiting from that also. Uh, the tools we're developing are not directly 
applications are not directly at commercial farm level, but are more at the breeding program level. But all of that will filter through to the commercial level and benefit producers and consumers. When it comes to looking towards the future, what can we predict to be coming in terms of hog resiliency and survivability? Well, so hopefully we we will be able to see more resilient pigs coming out of uh, breeding programs, breeding companies, as a result of the research that we do and that others do by providing them with these tools that they can use to select pigs within their nucleus herds while still maintaining that high health status. I talked about uh, the day-to-day variation in feed intake that they can measure on their nucleus animals that they can use for selection, talked about the different measurements on blood. I talked about different measurements taken on blood collected from young, healthy animals uh, or from their feces, the microbiome, all tools that we are currently validating and that can lead to tools that can be used by the breeding industry. And there's some other things that we're working on also. One of the Things that we are looking at, and this is also a project funded by uh, USDA, Yolanda Seddon, who's a physiologist at the University of Saskatchewan in Canada, and she is able to measure stress hormone levels in hair. And it's also something that is in use in, in humans. So as our hair grows, stress hormones that are in our blood are deposited in our hair as it grows. And then if you cut the hair and you grind it up, you can measure the level of those stress hormones and they reflect the stress that you were under while the hair was growing. So that's a new project that we started last year. And so on these pigs that go through this disease challenge, on about a thousand of them, they got haircuts. Part of the back of their body was cut at different, the hair was cut at different times and That hair was sent to Yolande in uh, Saskatchewan, and she's currently in the process of uh, measuring stress levels. And we cut the hair at a different time point. The first time point, the hair hair is cut just before they go into the disease challenge. So they're then at that point, they've gone through all farrowing, uh, well, birth, weaning, and uh, transportation from different parts of Canada to this test station in Quebec. They've been mixed with other pigs from other litters, uh, new diet, so they've been under lots of stressors. Uh, and the level of stress hormones that has, that has generated in, in each, each pig, we can then measure in the, the hair cutting we make just before they go into the disease challenge. And then we have two other cuts of hair from that same same part of the back of uh, regrowth, once about halfway during the challenge, through the challenge, and once just before they go to market. And that will measure response to uh, disease stress, which also has an effect on stress hormones. And so with that data, we can relate stress to disease, how a pig responds to the stress of disease to how they respond to other stressors like weaning, transportation, and so on. And what we expect to find that there's a connection between the two, as I already pointed out earlier also. Of course, hair is an even easier sample to take than taking a sample of blood. And that's also something that farmers could could potentially do. So if we get results that are very promising and 
we hope to get those answers in a couple of years, then farmers could take hair clippings and based on that, identify pigs that are more resilient to stressors. And maybe the pigs that are less resilient, they are separated off in a different pen. Uh, or, or a different barn. So there's, there's potential uses there at the commercial level, but also at the breeding level, clipping hair at, on uh, pigs in the nucleus is a lot easier than taking blood samples, which is quite involved. And, uh, so that's, that's another thing that's, uh, that's on the horizon. The other project that we're working on, and this is actually together with Jason Ross from uh, IPPC. Jason has grant from the National Pork Board, which I believe... Uh, He's been talking about on, in this blog and others have talked about is the pig survivability grant. And so one of the health problems that that project looks at, looks at is pelvic organ prolapse. We are looking at that from a genetic standpoint. Is there a genetic basis to sows being at risk of having POP? And we are collaborating on this with uh, Topics Norsvin. I actually have a PhD student, Vishesh Bathia who is currently on an internship in the Netherlands, working with Topics Norsefin and analyzing one of their data set that they have from two herds where they've collected over 10 years or so, they've collected uterine prolapse data. And a preliminary analysis that they did found that there was a genetic basis to it. There was some heritability. So that some of the, the reasons why one pig, pig gets uterine prolapse and another sow doesn't, in part, that's determined by genetics. And Vishesh is there to see whether we can find the genomic regions. Are there some genomic regions that stand out that are uh, responsible for that higher, being at higher risk of getting uh, uterine prolapse? Because if we find those genes, and there's no guarantee we will find them, it may be very polygenic again, affected by many genes, but there could be some genes or some pathways that are important that could give us more insight, uh, not only on the genetics, but also the uh, biology behind why does a sow get a uterine prolapse. And so that may then lead to uh, management of veterinary preventative treatments to reduce the uh, incidence of POP. So that's another project, a little bit different from the natural disease challenge model and resilience, but specifically this increasing frequency of POP, see whether we can help there to understand more what, uh, what, what's behind it and whether there's a genetic basis to it. So I think a good place to maybe end our discussion here is to talk about how producers can capitalize on this information that you've shared today. And also maybe if you just want to summarize it or, or share that, we like to send our listeners home with a take-home message or something that is an easy, actionable item they can take and implement in their own hog systems. What's a message that you can leave listeners with today? Well, disease is the most costly uh, infectious disease is the most costly problem facing pork production and, and also you know, it, it has implications for a license to produce farm. You know, society is very concerned about diseases in livestock, animal welfare and the use of uh, antibiotics and implications for human health. So you know, dealing with, this, with that is, uh, is one of the uh, most important problems facing the industry. And with the work that we're doing, we're trying to address that primarily from a genetics standpoint, but it all 
fits together with how you uh, deal with management. The take-home message for the audience is, well, talk to your, your uh, genetic suppliers about, about resilience of their pigs and what they are doing in their breeding program to select for pigs that are more resilient. Because that's how the research that we and others are doing on genetics of disease resilience gets to the producers. It's through the, through the breeding companies and the genetic suppliers. They'll be able to tell you what they are doing. And, uh, and that is an important uh, criterion as far as genetics decisions. Of course, there are potentially things on the horizon like precision animal management, precision veterinary treatments that could depend on what the genetics of the pig is. Right? And so some of these measures that we're looking at could be applied at some point at the producer level to identify pigs that are more resilient to a specific disease or a range of diseases or are better able to uh, respond or uh, where, where vaccines are more effective for some animals than other animals. And we may be able to predict that. And so that could have consequences for management. That's further down the line. I think the first thing producers will hopefully see is genetic suppliers delivering pigs that are uh, more resilient. Well, thank you again to Dr. Decker for joining us to share such valuable information for the work being done around swine disease resilience. Listeners, we hope this episode has made an impact on you that will be reflected in your own operation. But... I wanted to tease a special episode coming up next month with Dr. Ryan Brook, featuring a special edition episode from the Iowa Swine Day where we discuss wild boar populations. That's an episode you don't want to miss next here on the PigX Podcast. Until next time, I'm your host, Delaney Howell, and this has been the PigX Podcast. PigX is a national podcast hosted by the Pig Livability Project partners at Iowa State University, Kansas State University, and Purdue, and supported by the Iowa Pork Industry Center. For more information on the project, head to www.piglivability.org, or to inquire directly with questions regarding the project, email ipic at iastate.edu. PigX. Ideas in the swine industry worth sharing.